Ladies and gentlemen, George White. time I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. This time I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. Yeah, I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin yeah, Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. One hundred years later, 
The, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment, this sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent, 
will not pass until that is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice in the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. And the marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our bodies, heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote.
No. No, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today.
dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrims pride from every mountainside let freedom ring and if america is to be a great nation this must become true and so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. 
now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. Yeah. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land.
everybody. Welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, belated uh, Martin Luther King birthday. It was yesterday. Um, and I thought I would do that. We have it here on the show. It's, we have that clip on the show. We play it uh, every January uh, to uh, um, uh, respect, give respect to Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, uh, in the world that we're living in now and in 2019, uh, that's so hard to come by. It really is hard to come by. We are still in a shutdown. Uh, people, are, people are angry. People are scared. People are, and this this shutdown is affecting all people. Black, white, green. Um, it's affecting people. It, it's even affecting people who are not government workers, who are not federal workers, because they're seeing their friends and family and loved ones, you know, having a real hard time up. And I'm hearing that uh, McConnell caved and will finally let the Senate vote to reopen the government. Uh, that's not what I've been hearing. I'm, I read that on Facebook. That's not what I've been hearing. I'm hearing that they both, the Democrats have a plan to reopen the government. The uh, Republicans have a plan to open the government. And it doesn't jail. It doesn't uh, <laughs> It doesn't balance out. It doesn't, it, they're, they're two different plans. And we've heard this before. Uh it, as long as they are far apart on agreeing about a wall. And let me say something about this wall. There is no crisis on the border. There's none whatsoever. I mean, every expert in the world will tell you, and those people who are even working the border, uh, the border patrol, there's no crisis on the border. Terrorists are not coming across the border. Yeah, we need border security. I think we all uh, uh, agree with that. But what we don't need is a government shutdown to try to get it because this is blatant extortion. This is blatant. Um, some people say kidnapping. This is and this is all all which all this shit that Trump is doing is against the law in terms of shutting down the government to try to get what he wants. Try to get a wall where a wall is not needed. America does not want the wall. Eighty percent and eighty-five percent of Americans do not want a wall. This man just cannot get it through his thick skull. A wall is not needed. So therefore, if it's not about a wall, what is what is it about? It's easy. It's about control. It's about control. It's about power. That's what it's about. It's about getting his way. Trump getting his way. That's all it's about. It's not about a wall. Why would you want to give America something that it doesn't want? We don't want the wall. He knows it. I guess he feels that he's smarter than all Americans who do not want the wall. This wall is a joke, just like Donald Trump is a joke. Mitch McConnell is a joke. They will not be in power too long. Five or ten years from now, we're going to look at this. I would like to say and laugh, but it's not funny. It's not funny. Getting back to the wall, there is nothing uh, that a wall can do to prevent people from coming across and entering the United States. I was talking to someone who called the other day into the show, and he was a Trump supporter. Of course, I get those. 
and he was he he supported the wall. In some cases, uh, a lot of times the Trump reporters or uh, supporters are call in. They'll say they they support the wall, but they don't support a shutdown. But majority of the people do not support a wall. A majority of Americans do not support a wall because we know that there's no crisis on the border. We know that. But Trump knows it, but I'm pretty sure people have told him, but he he will not listen. So therefore, he's trying to he's trying to shelve that the United States need a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border down our throats. He's trying to shove it. Uh, but we don't need a wall. Take it anyway. Huh? You know, <laughs> um, we don't need a wall. We don't want a wall. And that's facts. That That's facts. But Donald Trump, somehow, he wants five, six million dollars for a fucking wall. And you know what? Five, five or six million dollars is not going to uh, build a wall. That's just a down payment for, mo- for more money when he comes back to shut the government down again to try to get more money. The Democrats cave into Donald Trump on this. He wants this country hostage to get what he wants because he knows the Democrats are weak, spineless, and they give up. And I, you know, I don't want to say that the Democrats are going to give up, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did give up on this thing and give Donald Trump what he wanted because he's just a bully. But I'm hoping that Nancy Pelosi stands her ground. You know, Nancy Pelosi has been adamant about not wanting a wall. I think Steny Hoyer said that, uh, I think a reporter asked him the other day, will there be a uh, State of the Union address uh, from Donald Trump? And he said, no. Then later on, he (laughs) he took it back. He He backtracked and said he misspoke, or they said he misspoke. He didn't misspeak. They got to him. <laughs> they got to him. This is what Democrats are about. They cave in or, or, or into some shit. They do. They just cave in. I'm not saying that Nancy Pelosi will uh, 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 cave in, but uh, she, she looks like she could. She looks like she could. Remember, Nancy Pelosi is 78 years old, and her age is showing. You know, so, you know. And at 78, I, I don't think she would want all this attention and all of this, you know, uh, uh, star attention, you know. So, um, yeah, and Donald Trump, uh, Nancy Pelosi told Donald Trump that uh, – and I don't blame her. I can see where she's coming from – told Donald Trump there would be no State of the Union speech because the government is shut down, and it will basically be unsafe for you to speak. Oh, Donald Trump got pissed. He – he got pissed, so he canceled her flight to some of these war zones, dictating to the enemy where she's going and what plane she's going to be on. That's really, really bad. Donald Trump has done that before. He has told the enemy uh, in his tweets and in, and in the Oval Office uh, uh, classified stuff, you know, classified stuff that is only supposed to be uh, – 
talked about between the FBI, CIA, and some of these other agencies. Donald Trump just opens his fucking mouth and just spills the beans on everything without even knowing what he's doing. A lot of times, I said a lot of a lot of things that Donald Trump says, he really doesn't know the impact of what he's saying. He doesn't know what he what he's going to say will do to the country. I mean, he tweets like a madman. I think he tweeted 40 tweets one day in one day saying nothing. A lot of grammar mistakes, a lot of misspellings, but he just went right there. And I don't see how people can just dismiss Donald Trump's uh, grammar and, and misspellings. I mean, the other day he bought, he bought a, a lot of hamburgers and stuff for, uh, for Clemson players, and he tweeted about it, and he misspelled hamburger. I mean, he misspelled it badly, too. Wow. <laughs> How in the hell do we get here? The Republicans, they treat Donald Trump's grammar errors and misspellings uh, as if that's nothing. You know, like it's nothing. It's it's okay to be dumb. It's okay to be stupid. It's it's okay not to know, not to read. And and that's going. That tone is going across America. That it's okay not to have an education. It's co- okay not to go to school. It's it's okay to be dumb. It's okay to be stupid. It's okay not to know who your uh, senators and representatives are from your state. I mean, they're sending that kind of a message. It's okay not to know, not to know what you're doing when you get a job, or not not to have any, any experience. That's the kind of crap that Donald Trump is sending out through, and the Republicans through America, because the White House, the president sets the tone for America. Look at the hate and the division in this country. It's coming straight from the White House. It's coming straight from the White House. People. In the United States are angry, pissed off, mad. Have you noticed it? I mean, you walk outside your door. You don't know what's going to happen. Somebody might spit in your face just because they're just hateful, nasty, rude, and dumb. And it's all coming from the White House. And, and, And as you and I know, the White House perpetuate this kind of thing. Donald Trump perpetuates this kind of thing, hatred, uh, violence in America. He perpetuates it. He loves it. Get him out of here. Knock him in his ass. <laughs> Get him out of here. He thinks he's some sort of a, a dictator. And so many people fall for it. But at this time and at this juncture, this shutdown is going to be his fall. Because even his staunchest um, supporters who voted for this guy, they're turning their backs on Donald Trump. But Donald Trump doesn't care because Donald Trump doesn't care about anybody. So you voted for him. So you supported him. So you did this and you did that for him. And now he's taking away your livelihood. Donald Trump doesn't care about anybody. And Donald Trump is always talking about loyalty. Where is his loyalty? To the United States, where is loyalty to America? To America, to America, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, we're broadcasting live out of the city of Chicago. Yeah, and we're this show and every show 
that I put on that we do here. I'm always saying we, but it's only me. And I love doing everything on the show because it saves me money, right? Anyway, every show from now on, from this uh, day on, will be about opening up our government. I mean, you know, I mean, when people can't pay bills, they can't buy food, they can't feed their families, there is nothing else that matters. I know there's a lot of people out here saying, well, a lot of these people are, you know, they're, they're crying, they're, they're upset, they're, they're having a hard time of it. And a lot of people are saying, a lot of Americans are saying, fuck them, let them get a job, you know, uh, get another job. Or especially when you're talking about rental assistance, because a rental assistance for a lot of people who are living in low-income housing, public housing, and stuff like that has stopped. And people are crying. People are upset. People are nervous. But those who still have their house, their home, their apartments, they can get these people. Fuck them. Fuck. Let them get a job. Now they'll get a job. They won't be on government. But I don't know. But you've got a lot of people. It's a lot of ways to take that. There are people who, yeah, there's some people on that's getting rental assistance. And other government programs who can work. Maybe they can't find a job. Maybe they don't have any experience. Maybe, you know, you can bring up all kinds of reasons to why people get rental assistance. Um, Lay up on their butts and get fat, right? But there's a lot of – there's another reason I think people get rental assistance. I don't think the government is just going to give you rental assistance even if you are capable and able to work. You have to be capable and able to work. A lot of people on mental, uh, on rental assistance that getting re- that expect rental assistance who are mentally ill, they're disabled. I mean, if if if, if they miss their uh, rent, the landlord is going to tell them to get out, regardless of their, if they're mentally unstable in, in, or or they're uh, disabled. And as I am on the show right now, people are being evicted. They're told you got to come up with the, the money within a week or two weeks or you will be evicted. And there's no way they can come up with that money. You know, you know, some people, there's no way they can come up with that money. Only thing they can hope is that the government opens back up soon so they can, you know, stay in their homes. This is bad. This is bad. And you should never say uh, screw people or tell people to fuck off uh, because you really don't know what their situation is. Yeah, it's a lot of people on rental assistance, maybe more people on welfare, people getting food stamps. You don't know what their situation is. Find out what their situation is first and then criticize uh, uh, or do not blame them at all for for what's happening in their lives. You know, you have to... You just can't jump up and say, hey, put them out, throw them out. Figure out what the situation is and then determine what's best to do. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. But but this government shutdown, so this this show will be all – will be – excuse me – will be about the um, government shutdown until it opens, until it opens. Uh, we're we're about making the world a better place, and one of, and one of the things 
uh, we do to try to make the world a better place is try to help to get the government to reopen. I mean, you got some clowns out there who hope the government never reopens. I mean, because it's not affecting them. If it's not affecting them, they don't give a care about you, me, or someone else who's being readily affected by this stupid shutdown over a wall that should not be built because there is no crisis at the border. None whatsoever. And I always thought this, the Trump administration, they want a crisis. They want something astronomical to happen within the United States. So ho- so hopefully he will stay in power. One of the things I think this shutdown is uh, coming after it is the federal courts. The federal courts, uh, they say, will be running out of money. I know Trump loves that because the, <laughs> these federal courts are going to be the ones someday to put his ass behind bars. And 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 another thing he probably likes about about it, it will slow or shut down the Mueller investigation. <laughs> so he, he knows what he's doing. You know, uh, he he knows what he's doing, but hey, wow, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, he has the power to work with the Democrats to reopen the government. All the excuses that this man gives for not reopening this government is bullshit. Total total crap. It could be that he and Trump and some uh, some other Republicans are in. The pockets of Russia and Russia say, destroy the United States. And they say, okay, all right. Um, So uh, it's in Mitch McConnell's hands because I don't think Donald Trump is going to budge. And people are saying that Donald Trump should resign. He should resign. He ought to resign. I totally agree. Get his stupid ass out of the White House. I totally agree. But he's not. Donald Trump is not going to resign, and I say this all the time. Reasons? Because he loves power. He loves it, no matter how little uh, it is, and he loves to abuse it, and he gets away with it. He loves it. He loves power. Secondly, the reason why he will not resign, because he will become a private citizen. And he will be indicted, just like all those folks who work for him and work with him and worked around him. They all went to jail. Manafort, Mike Flynn, you name them. George Papadopoulos, you name them. So he will not resign. We will all like to see him resign like Nixon. Donald Trump is going to go kicking and screaming like a five-year-old child. He's going to have to be drugged out of the White House, literally drugged out of the White House. He is not going to give up power that easily, even if even if uh, even in 2020, if he loses his reelection, if he makes it that far to 2020 and he loses, he's not going to go kindly. He's not going to but what they call it once a person. Loses, concedes, he's not going to concede. <laughs> he's going to say, he's going to blame everybody who's anybody for his loss. 
And they are even talking about Donald Trump losing in the media. You know, for his loss. It, if Donald Trump wins a second term in, uh, in, as president in the United States, it will be only through cheating. Maybe Russia, China, or somebody. It's going to be only through cheating, and I think America is ready for it. Um, remember back in the, the, the midterms, people were saying Donald Trump and the Republicans should at least try to fund, fund to make sure our elections are safe? They didn't do that. They didn't want that. They were hoping <laughs> they were hoping somebody would cheat for them, like Russia, and get them back in office. It didn't happen. Russia could have cheated because I don't. I, I still don't see how we didn't uh, get the Senate. Actually, they gained a couple of senators. That was weird, and that's why we are here where we are at because. It was a great blue wave. It was super blue wave, but still in all, we did not do enough because we did not win the Senate. And that's one of the reasons why the government is shut down. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Um, this show, like every other show that I'm going to be doing this week and from now on, is going to be about opening the government, pressuring these assholes to come to some kind of uh, agreement, some kind of solution to get people back to work. People are suffering. People are crying. People are losing, and they have a right to. I mean, you got people who are 65, 70 years old getting ready to be evicted out of their apartments. This is crazy. But Donald Trump and the Republicans, they don't give a fuck, even though they are the same ages as some of these people that they are wrecking their lives. I, Donald Trump is saying inside of his mind, well, they're not rich like we are. Too bad. They don't like me. They didn't vote for me. Too bad. Yeah, too bad. You're right. Too bad. What we all saw and heard in Helsinki today is really frightening. An absolutely shameful display by an American president with the whole world watching. Mr. President, you tweeted this morning that it's U.S. foolishness, stupidity, and the Mueller probe that is responsible for the decline in U.S. relations with Russia. Do you hold Russia at all? This is the Dollamore Daily, and I'm Jesse Dollamore. Hey, everybody. Well, you may have noticed that I was a no-show last week. Well, my wife and I took what was supposed to be a relaxing weekend trip to the mountains to hang out with friends in a cabin in the snowy woods, and while I still had a good time, I ended up in a day-quill haze for most of the time. But I am back, almost 100%, and I guess 80% Jesse D is better than zero Jesse D, or at least I hope that's what you think. Uh, just a reminder for those of you who did miss the Dalmore Daily in my absence, Brittany Page and I host a twice-weekly audio podcast, and it was still published despite oh, my illness point, last week. Man. It's called I Doubt It with Dollamore, and you can subscribe to it for free anywhere that you can find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, even right <laughs> on right. my website, dollamore.com. You see, it's easier for me to roll my sick ass out of bed and perch myself in front of a microphone to talk for an hour or so 
than it is to shower, comb my hair, and try to make this All right, I'm look halfway presentable enough to step in front of the camera. So, so anyway, what did I miss last week? Nothing too big, I hope. I mean, what are the chances that I go away for a week and it gets reported that there are very real concerns within some of the highest levels of American intelligence infrastructure, that there are worries that Donald Trump has been, and maybe still is, a literal witting or unwitting agent of a foreign adversary. Spoiler alert, the chances are 100%. Because last week it was revealed that after Donald Trump fired James Comey and then spilled highly sensitive top secret national security intelligence given to us by an ally when he invited the Russians into the Oval Office, only hours after Comey's firing, the Federal Bureau of Investigations opened a counterintelligence investigation into the current sitting U.S. president after they became worried that he was either, again, either a witting or unwitting Russian intelligence asset. And only a day or so later, reports have emerged that Donald Trump, that same possible Russian intel asset, has gone to extraordinary and unprecedented lengths to keep secret the details of his many conversations with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Keeping the contents of those conversations secret from even his most senior diplomatic and national security aides. Our bumbling, cartoonish, human Happy Meal gift of a president has apparently gone as far as to go out of his way to even swipe the notes taken by his own interpreter and then ordering them not to discuss what had transpired during the meeting with anyone else within the administration. And this behavior isn't just par for the course for dumb guy Donald Trump because there are extensive records of the conversations between him and other world leaders with whom he's spoken. But not so with Vladimir Putin. In fact, this treasonous secrecy is so widespread that according to reporting from the Washington Post, quote, U.S. officials said there is no detailed record, even in classified files, of Trump's face-to-face interactions with the Russian leader at five locations over the past two years and that such a gap would be unusual in any presidency, let alone one that Russia sought to install through what U.S. intelligence agencies have described as an unprecedented campaign of election interference, unquote. But listen, let's not jump to conclusions. We should give Donald Trump a chance to answer a yes or no whether or not he has now or ever worked for Russia. If only it were possible to know what his answer would be. Well, you're in luck, folks. We're all in luck because his pal, human smoker's voice, Janine Pirro on Fox News, asked him that very thing. I want to move on to another subject. New York Times uh, reported that the FBI opened a counterintelligence investigation the day after uh, you fired James Comey in, in May of 17. Uh, and, and, they, and the investigation was whether you were actively working for Russia or unwittingly. So I'm going to ask you, are you now or have you ever worked for Russia, Mr. President? I think it's the most <laughs> insulting thing I've ever been asked. I think it's the most insulting article I've ever had written. Uh, And if you read the article, you see that they found absolutely nothing. 
But the, the headline of that article, it's called The Failing New York Times for a reason. They've gotten me wrong for three years. They've actually gotten me wrong for many years before that. Huh. You, you know what answer I didn't hear there after the easiest yes or no question in the world for any American citizen? I didn't hear him say no. I heard him jockey and shift and squirm and harumph about how insulting the question was. But let me tell you, if someone thought they had reason to believe that I, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and patriot, was working for the Russian government, the answer wouldn't be, what? Oh, I can't believe you would ask me that. How disrespectful. Oh, The answer would be, no. No, I am not working for the Russian government, nor have I ever. And I'm a nobody. When you're president of the United States and you're asked that, you go out of your way to make certain that the answer is crystal, crystal clear. So I'll leave you with this thought for the day, everybody. When asked if he does now or has ever worked for the Russian government, Donald Trump didn't deny it. He did later on.
explosion of race relations in America right now. Activist and rapper and the 13-year-old gospel phenomenon Jay-Z put in the spotlight, Miles Keaton, a Grammy-winning superstar Yolanda Adams, join forces for a powerful tribute to an American icon. It all starts now with Whoopi, Abby Huntsman, Joy Behar, Sonny Hostin, and Megan McCain. Now, let's get things started. Walked out to Common and John Legend's Oscar and Grammy winning song, Glory, from the movie Selma, because today The View is honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now, rather than starting the show with us talking, we wanted you to have the opportunity to listen to Dr. King himself explaining the unique history of being black in America in rare footage recently posted by his daughter Bernice. Take a look. What is it about the Negro? I mean, every other group that came as an immigrant somehow, not easily, but somehow got around it. Is the fact that Negroes are black? White America must see that no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil. Uh, that is one thing that other immigrant groups haven't had to face. The other thing is that the color became a stigma. American society made the Negroes' color a stigma. America freed the slaves in 19, I mean 1863 through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land or nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to, to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. I believe we ought to do all we can and seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. Have a 
the powerful words. It, it's, it is the clearest, most succinct thing I have ever seen mm -hmm. that explains to people, you know, oftentimes people say, well, why do you always talk about slavery? And what you, what, why don't y'all just get over it? It's because it, it kind of, in a way, is never-ending. <laughs> it feels like that. You know, it feels like that because, you know, I know and remember watching, along with my mother, the fight as an American to get the right to vote, just the right to vote and being born in this country. I didn't come from somewhere else. I was born here. Yeah. And it wasn't until 68 that the vote for black people was given in the entire nation. So there are so many things, you know, when people talk about being kept back in oppression and stuff, this is what people are talking about, that the playing field has never quite felt level. Well, I was, yeah, and I was, I was born in 1968, and I remember when I turned 40, my father said to me, do you know that you are the first person in my family to enjoy full civil rights? And it just, it sort of stopped me in my tracks and shook me to my core because he followed that and said, well, maybe. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, Martin Luther King is also talking about the, fin the financial inequities, which yes. really set people back. Yes. You know, they gave all that land to white people, whether they were born here or not. Yeah. And uh, besides the color stigma, there's also the financial uh, disabilities, you could call it, yeah. uh, that, that black people have had to endure. Right. So, and, and, you know, of course, he mentions the fact that people just see color. They just see color. And it, was like, it was, seemed like it was a deliberate way to oppress a people. A very deliberate. It wasn't just accidental. They deliberately did not give land to those people. It's well, really, it's, it's the original of, sin of this country. When I think of Dr. King, I, um, I best say this quote to myself once a week. I can't take hate. It's too great a burden to bear. I'm going to stick with love. I think that is something that we should all say to ourselves and that sometimes when I get so consumed with thinking about anger and thinking of what's going on in the country, there's so many amazing quotes that still are so resonant today. Another one is, there comes a time when silence is betrayal mm -hmm. and I think we're living in a moment when any silence, no matter where you're at, is a betrayal mm -hmm. and his That's legacy right. will continue yeah. to live on yeah. and so forever. forever. For all you young people who thought it was just, I have a dream. He has amazing gifts. No. It's not just that. This is, a, this, is, this is the moment in American history where we all have to catch up. Because mm -hmm. our history is American history. Your history is American yeah. history. We're all black, white, brown, yellow, orange. Yes, orange. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't mean it, but it came out anyway. <laughs> but now is our moment to say this is what this means. This is the inequity that people talk about. Right. We gotta balance each other or, we, or, or none of us are balanced. It's, all, it's either all of us or none of us. Yeah. I'm going for all of us. Yeah. We'll be right back. And the question on everyone's mind is... Are you a contender in 2020? You're gonna run for president. Are you running for president? Are you? Are you running for president? Are you going to run for president? Well, look, um, are you running? So I'm pleased to announce on the Jews that I'm not ready to make my announcement. <laughs>
on the line in this epic year ahead. Anybody who's anybody who wants to make it to the next level in politics has to come on this show. Because this is the place to be heard. If you're a Republican and you want to make news, come on this show. Here's a view on ABC. For so long, we, the black people, have been relegated to a subservient and second-class position in American society. The moment of truth has arrived. And may this moment continue to grow and to develop to the extent that everyone in the United States of America would recognize that the black man has indeed from the inception of this country been an integral part of the United States of America. You know, Dr. King famously told us he'd seen the promised land, but might not get there with us. He didn't. But he definitely showed us the way to get there ourselves, including a lot of guests who sat at this very table. Take a look. Dr. King, for me as a black boy, was like one of the first black men that I saw in my history books that was celebrated by black people and white people. Black people embraced him, white people embraced him because he was about love. Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail in Birmingham and the jailers came to him and said, Dr. King, you're wrong. Segregation is right. He said, no, it's not. He said, the way of righteousness is right. And then he asked them, how much money do you make? And then when they told him, he said, well, hell, you need to be marching with us. <laughs> Dr. King set out a standard. Yes, you have to have moral witness, but you're supposed to be calling people up, not just calling them out. And there's a way that sometimes we get so frustrated that we're just calling people out and forgetting to call them up. I don't think that the Ku Klux Klan has gotten a memo that we're free and that we all belong, everybody belongs, no matter what color you are, what gender. We're, it's, just, it's ridiculous what's going on out here. We live in America right now where we've evolved. We believe that uh, a man can be a woman trapped in a woman's body, a woman can be a man trapped, but we inherently believe that black people are criminals. Your very blackness by birth has been demonized and weaponized and is considered inherently threatening mm -hmm. and less than. So often when um, people are killed and particularly people of color are killed by the police, we have a moment of outcry and then we sort of move on. I don't believe in stereotypes. I believe we have 324 million people in this country. You can't tell me that you could put people in the box. It's hard being a woman of color in the world and just in the business and in the industry where they tell you you're not enough or no one wants to see you, no one's gonna pay you, pay dollars to come and see you, can't carry a movie. I show up with my little portfolio, they look at it and they go, we already have a black girl. I I'd guess how many models they would have. 200 models. Damn. When I first started in this business, uh, one reporter said, well, Charlie, how does it feel to be the Jackie Robinson of country music? So Charlie, how does it feel to be the first colored country singer? So Charlie, how does it feel to be the first Negro country singer. Charlie, how does it feel to be the first Afro-American country singer? Well, hold on, hold on. I said, I feel the same way I did when I was colored. All of America is made up of immigrants. Mm -hmm. And to the universe, there are no borders. I am an American. I was born and raised an American. Also feeling linked to my family and their culture and where they come from. And, and it's sort of this thing of, like, you're both, you're kind of neither. And I grew up and realized, this is me. Of yeah, yeah. The number, the population of Indian Americans mm -hmm. in, in, the, in, in America mm -hmm. has tripled. 
since that time. So the voice is louder. Yeah. Representation and the demand for representation for people of color is louder. We all got to this country in different ways through our ancestry, but we're right. all in the same boat now. And to try to think we're going to demonize each other so bad, we need each other. Anytime someone, black, white, Asian, Latino, whoever, exhibits a moment of, of a lack of awareness about something, and then they quickly apologize yeah. and get it, Part of us moving on and healing as a country and as a people is embracing that apology. Being like, all right, brother, you could actually be closer as a result of that yeah. because then they understand something on a deeper level. Racism is hereditary. It is passed down. You teach it to your children. It's generation to generation. And you have to know that you can have it inside you. You're susceptible to it. But if we treated it like a disease, we wouldn't shun people. I don't understand how we think it's going to change when we go, you're a racist, out of here. In the same house, the American house, the world going to live together as brothers and sisters, as Dr. King put it, but we perish as fools. We'll be right back. on the Oscar buzz around his latest hit movie, Black Klansman. God bless white America. And why it's more relevant now than ever. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of the awards. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. And I shall always Hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And may I say thank you and God bless you. You know, the one and only Spike Lee is at the top of his game with this latest flick, Baby Black Klansman, the true story of how a black man was able to infiltrate a Colorado chapter of the Ku Klux Klan in 1970s. Take a look. How do you propose to make this investigation? Well, I've established contact and created some familiarity with the Klansman over the phone. I'll continue in that role, but I'll need another officer, surprise, surprise, a white officer to play me when they meet face-to-face. -face. That's my point exactly. Chief, black Ron Stallworth over the phone, white Ron Stallworth face-to-face, -face, so there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? I believe we can with the right white man. We can do anything. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Spike Lee. <laughs> Yeah, baby. I'm wearing my Morehouse yes. jacket. I see. Dr. Martin Luther King. My was a freshman when came was a senior. Mm -hmm. Samuel Jackson was a couple of years ahead of me. Right. And Martin Luther King and the, Martin Luther King the third and I were classmates. Right. Class '79 Morehouse College. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got that the break. I love that. It's good to see you, man. You know, you just walked out to the classic uh, Ball of Confusion. Yes. Which is uh, in the film. Mm -hmm. And the film is getting a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. A lot of attention. It's got Oscar attention. It's got Golden Globe nominations. It was at Cannes and took second place. So you just got your first DGA nomination? Ever. Ever? 
Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> I mean, you know. What's the question? <laughs> you know what the question is. That's not the question I'm going to ask you, but I'm going to ask you a different question. How hard was it to get this film made? Easy. Oh, really? Jordan Peele. Uh, get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Give it up. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where did this idea come from for this film? It's a book. It was a book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jordan Peele came to me. It was a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. But he, he called me up and gave me a six-word pitch. Black man infiltrates Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> it's hilarious right there. It's absurd. Yeah. And that's where the humor comes from. It's yeah. not yeah. like we were writing yeah. jokes. Right. You know? no. The humor is organic from the absurdity of the, the whole pitch. Yeah, so and you, it's true. And a true story. So here you are, really... Less than a month before we start to shoot, mm -hmm. Charlottesville. Yeah. yeah. So that cemented it. Yeah. So I knew that was the ending. Right. So brilliant. It is so... I, I just can't even tell you. You know, the other day, today, I was yesterday, I was watching this discussion about Steve King, you know, this uh, mm -hmm. congressman right. who uses these terms. He's a white nationalist right. and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Governor Kasich talking about it, and they asked him, do you think that Trump, Trump's words, as you mentioned, is that as bad? There's something there. And he said no. He said uh, Trump never called himself a white nationalist. He never said he was a white supremacist. Uh, He's not, not words. Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought, I thought Kasich was a nationalist. But, but, but I thought Kasich let him off the hook. But they're this, they're but letting this Trump guy off the hook. It's not new. Yeah, well, it's mm -hmm. old. It's just old. A long time this story been out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah but know, I mean, for whatever reason, nobody. I don't know, but it's. Hmm. Well, uh, in in the film. John David Washington, Denzel Washington's son. Wait, wait, don't leave out his mother. And his, Pauletta. And Pauletta. Yeah. Pauletta. Who is in, in, just, in, just an incredible, awesome woman yes, and yes. herself. But he plays Ron Stallworth. Right. Um, and Whoopi was saying during the clip, you Denzel's voice, you hear that? They, they sound so much yeah. alike. Mm -hmm. um, he's his eldest son, and you've known him since he was a baby. You I knew before he was born. Before he was born. <laughs> You didn't have him audition no. for this. How did you know he was Ron Stallworth? My spider, my spidey sense. You just knew. Because, I mean, he embodies this uh, character. I've been in this game a long time, and, you know, you, I, I, I knew he could do it. You so just knew it. I, no audition, no put on tape. I said, I offered him the role. Right. He was in Cincinnati shooting a film, call him up, send him the book, mm -hmm. the script. Yep. <laughs> He said, well, let's go. That was it. Wow. I, 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 you know, I listened to the book, mm -hmm. and I have to tell you, it, it's really funny because you, you keep thinking, now, they're going to figure this out. Mm -hmm. gonna, at some yeah. point, they're going to know. That's when I met the real yeah. Ron Stallworth. That's my yeah. first yeah. question to him. Yeah. How come the Klan didn't recognize different voices? Mm -hmm. yeah. He said they did it. <laughs> but... We had, I said, the audience, they're not going to believe that. So I wrote a scene specifically where we bring up this thing about, your voice sounds different. Oh, 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 yeah, I got allergies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. had to put that in for the yeah. audience. Yeah. Because yeah. just to uh, say they didn't recognize the voice, that, that, uh-uh.
I want to ask you this. The rock band The Killers uh, yes. just released a new song called Land of the Free, and you directed a film for this song with scenes of migrants right. at the U.S.-Mexico border, and we have a <laughs> lifted over. Right. What, what was it like there? Well, I first like to give a shout to Brandon Flowers, the, mm -hmm. the guy of The Killers. He called me out of nowhere, and he said, I got a song. He's, he told me he had just seen Black Klansman, mm -hmm. huh. and he has a song, and it's a protest song. Mm -hmm. And I said, send it to me. And I said, let's do it. The, the lyrics, there are different stances about all the problems that are happening in America this time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the last stance is the one that stood out to me. That was about the whole, I don't even call them immigrants. I'm calling them people who, who were seeking peace. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went down to the, below the border and I had got a lot of other people shooting stuff. And uh, I came out the other day and people uh, really responded to it. And, and it's so relevant because over 800,000 over 800, Americans are not being paid. It was yeah. going to forfeit now because what's happening mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. on this thing. And so, and, and I think that it's, it's just, and then, let me make quickly how he tried to criminalize, saying he started earlier during the campaign, all yeah. Mexicans are rapists, yeah. right. murderers, yep. drug dealers. And then he yep. said, with the caravan that was coming, yeah. mm -hmm. well, there's some people from the Middle East. And so we're trying to say there was terrorists, terrorists. terrorists. there. Yeah. There are people who walk hundreds of miles in flip-flops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So unless they, they made us some nuclear bomb flip-flops, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's like... When those two kids died, three, so three, three, died. three of them right. now, mm -hmm. they blame it on the parents. Yeah. And, and, also, the fact that and, and also the national parks, I think two or three people have died in national parks since yeah. this whole thing. So yeah. this is mm -hmm. like... This is bananas. Yeah. This is this is crazy time. You know, you need to come back. You haven't been here nearly enough. Yeah. You need to well, like get in the I gotta be invited to uh, like like you like the PGA. Standing invitation. <laughs> you know you gotta make I it just, the you have, I just can't walk up in here. Yeah, no, you can. You can. You have an open invitation to come. Thank anytime, you very much. Anytime. Our thanks to Spike Lee, members of our <laughs> audience. You are lucky, honey. You are going home with a deal. <laughs> Michael Linder, better known as Killer Mike, and I'm here to tell the ladies why my candidate, Bernie Sanders, is the only guy taking the page from King's platform next. It's incredible now to think of a sport that big that was all uh, all non-black. Yes, I keep reading about certain ball players, and I, one day I look on television, and he's black. There's no longer a mention of Joe Blow, Negro ball player, this kind of thing, which is as it should be. I think they should be judged solely on their abilities out there, and the race shouldn't have anything to do with it. So is the activist, businessman, and rapper who is giving viewers a new way to look at everything from religion, gang culture, economic equality, on his new Netflix series, Trigger Warning with Killer Mike. Please welcome Michael Rander, better known as Killer Mike. So we're celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and, and you recently wrote an article on what everyone should be doing today instead of just sort of hanging and taking the day off. There's nothing wrong with a day off. I mean, England don't work out how we want to work, but I, I would say, as Americans, we should take this opportunity, and I think we can go use these days to give back. So for holidays, Christmas.
Thanksgiving, oftentimes, I mean, we go feast hungry. And when they're not. Today, I just challenge people to take a day, something pro-positive for the community, whether that's hungry or giving those people socks, whether that's being a part of a social justice organization, if you're a lawyer, giving you an hour. Dr. is about action, words, so I think mm-hmm. that Dr. King both grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Been an activist since you were a young Atlanta fan. <laughs> since you were a young kid, who originally taught you about activism? My grandmother, my grandmother Betty Klontz, was from Tuskegee. Um, yeah, her her grandfather had been involved or victim of things I like that's my girl. That's yeah, she grandfather. You know, the horrors of the Tuskegee experiment visited our family and things of that nature. But I think it gave my grandmother a will to want to leave the world better. She was a nurse. She, um, I remember going on campaigns for Andrew Young, who's also a lieutenant of Dr. King, right there by her knee. She taught me the importance. She marched in self marched in um, Birmingham, and she taught me the importance of judging people on their character, pushing for equality for everyone. And it was just something I couldn't escape. You know, made people call me Michael Render, not Killer Mike. <laughs> you don't like that, huh? Well, she didn't like it. I yeah, like it. yeah, yeah. So, you know, I know that you campaigned for Bernie Sanders. I did. They're hard, hard. You love Bernie. Yeah, I, I like, I like. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. As and a I, person. What's that? As a person, I like him a lot. Too. Yeah. He's the OG. But his, his, <laughs> but his, his, his political agenda and his platform is what drew me to him. Yes, of course. And also, I understand that there's something about him that Martin Luther King is connected to. Well, that, the fact that he was an organizer and, you know, got locked up and, you know, the police roughed him up in Chicago. We got the picture to prove it. Oh, but, yeah. Bernie. Yeah. They, they released a story yeah. right yeah. but, but, <laughs> but besides that, uh, there's a transformer in Dr. King's policy. Whether you look up Kingian nonviolence or you look up economic equality or the ending of war or the proliferation of corporations over local... All of that was found on Sanders' campaign. All of that started with the little bitty black boy, born in Georgia, who went on to become a minister, went to Morehouse, same college Mike went to. All of these ideas come from the class and the poor. So what Bernie's campaign reminded me is that my fight with the working class, with the poor, with the poor, is not with the political oligarchy. It's not with those that are enough to escape. It is firmly with the working class. That's why I supported him now. That's why I support him then. That's why I'm forever. So you, you think he's going to run again? He told me. Have a shot? I, yeah. I, I, I think he's the only person that could beat him. Oh, really? I do. I have a new show on Netflix. <laughs> I do. Trigger warning. The show is about us pushing the line. I've been told my whole life that black gangs were the worst plight amongst black community. Good at the same time, I get TV and I see white crime celebrated. I celebrate Sonny Bolger. I celebrate. I celebrate the Irish Mafia, all these other things. So I went to my crib and my blood homeboys, and I said, hey, you guys are in the game. What the hell's angels? You have not traded. You have not set yourself aside legitimate business, so you can't sell t-shirts. But Nike can sell Nikes. Levi's can sell blue bandanas hanging out of one side. You should be taking advantage of capitalism because that curves poverty and violence. I took six, I took four young men who were members of a
glimmer of hope uh, for an end to the shutdown and glimmer of hope. Okay. And then there's other sites and other news outlets saying, well, there's no hope to the end of the shutdown. But anyway, uh, there's no doubt about it. Mitch McConnell is in the spotlight. He is in the spotlight because uh, this is the this is day 32, folks, of the uh, of the partial shutdown brought a tiny glimmer of hope that the impasse could be resolved. That's good news. Even as Republicans and Democrats prepare for the next round of legislative volleys in their ongoing blame games. Now, now there is no doubt about it in anyone's mind who's not senile or crazy. The Republicans are at fault. Donald Trump is at fault. The Republicans that are at fault. Okay, as a result of the local deal reached by the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his Democratic counterpart Chuck Schumer, the Senate will vote Thursday on two competing proposals to end the shutdown. Two different kinds of proposals. Two different kinds. So if there's two different uh, kinds of proposals uh, and no one is on the same page, we're back at square one when we're talking about this shutdown. There's no doubt about that. We're just about off the air, folks. All righty. You on the air. Donald Trump, and how are you tonight, by the way? Hope your family is doing I'm fine. Tonight. I'm just great. It's cold. It's snowing outside, but I'm just great. It's a beautiful time. And uh, you have you have one of those distinctive voices that make me say, oh, it's him again. <laughs> oh, I'm down here in uh, Baton Rouge. Okay. In the red state of Louisiana with a temperature of 65 degrees. You know, something, so, uh, I, I never, I never, it, it always... Was on the tip of my tongue or on the forefront of my mind is why all of these red states are in the south when the majority of the people uh, are African American in these southern states, and you have these uh, Republican governors. But say one thing that uh, you look at all the new manufacturing that has started <clears throat> based on terror. And uh, tax reform, a lot of these companies are starting up in the South. Kentucky, three aluminum plants. You got South Carolina, tire plants. Tennessee, tire plants, automobile plants in in Tuscaloosa, uh, lumber plants. And also, don't mention Texas, what's going on with them with oil. They have another oil boom. So, uh, so things are going very pretty good for them. It's concerning, but I was going to make mention of the uh, shut the shutdown. Uh, now, uh, Republicans, the ones that's true, Donald Trump should hold to his promise. That's what he's done. Have you ever seen a president? I know I've lived longer. You have seen more. I've never seen one stick to every campaign promise, every campaign issue that they mention, like this man is doing. The thing is, the thing is, (laughs) the thing is, oh, wow, you're making me laugh. The thing is, the thing is that, uh, of course, we need border security. Everybody wants that. 
So we don't think that uh, uh, federal workers should be held hostage or the Americans should be held hostage to get a border put on the U.S. Uh, Mexico border when there is no crisis. The crisis is totally manufactured. Yeah, we we want border security, but we want the government open. There should be no extortion so, or go right ahead. You say it's manufactured. So these angel it is manufactured. moms that, that comes up and talk about how Hancock, Texas, that city, town that's under siege, you say that they manufacturing this? You go to YouTube and you see all I'm, the uh, apprehension and the, the, the drug running. I'm saying Donald Trump is manufacturing this. I'm not talking about what other people are saying. He is manufacturing it. It is not terrorists coming across the border. There's no drugs coming across well, the, DH, the border. The Department of Homeland Security said they were. Well, they're lying. I mean, what, you have to look you at got, you have uh, the, What kind of you news get, you got? Juneteenth news? Uh, uh, look, man, uh, I'm giving you my opinion. You give it, I'm, I'm giving you my opinion. After, you give, go ahead. Six months after slavery ended, you just not finding out six months. Believe me, it's for real, but go ahead. That's your opinion. Uh, yeah, it's my opinion. It's my thoughts. And, it, and it's being real is your uh, opinion also. And, but I still think in my mind, I think, I, I don't think that the government should be, uh, held hostage for something that is manufactured. That's what I. That's that's my thoughts. And well, uh, you know, whole, whole and, and of, I think uh, you're right. I think you got a point there because the government was being held hostage on the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 Voters Rights Act, Martin yeah. Luther King holiday, and I know people today just winding down that they can't go to work and have to have a national holiday for somebody who's a womanizer. I mean. You know, oh, now, I mean, his sex life has nothing to do with his, his uh, political agenda and what he's done for African-Americans. It's about morality. Yeah, well, huh? It's about morality. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I mean, if his sex life really played into in, into all of this, you think he would have a national holiday? I think they twisted some people's arms, man. McCain didn't want it. <laughs> McCain, well, he was white. <laughs> what, what do you expect? And probably a racist. Oh, but wait a minute. But when he lost to Obama, he said, well, Obama won. He should get Obamacare. So why come the same sentiment is not passed on to Donald Trump? He won. He should get his wall. Right. I agree. Elections have consequences. I totally agree. But that doesn't mean that we have to agree with it. That doesn't mean we have to like it. Oh, okay. You know? Well, you know, you I'm know gonna say, if I was one of those workers, you got banks like U.S. banks say that they would give them interest-free loans while they off. You have uh, yeah. Yeah, the possibility I agree. of them going to work. It, there's all kind of hiring going on, especially down here in this state, they could go to so work you don't think- and be working and still get paid when things is old. They get a big lump sum check. That would be like money in the bank. Yeah, but uh, so other, in, other, in other words, you don't think that what Donald Trump is doing by shutting down the government is actually affecting the economy? He's not shutting down the government. The Democrats... He, he in the speech he made the other day, he included everything that they once said they wanted, an extension on DACA, we, and so until they can come up with, Congress can come up with a uh, how to solve that problem, 
and some and, mm-hmm. and some other things. The things that they said that they was okay with. Now they lying. You know, Nancy Pelosi is a multimillionaire, and she's not running. Yeah. So what has she got to lose? So you're saying this is not Donald Trump's uh, fault? Donald that, uh, Trump? No, it's not. See, here's the thing. Donald Trump said in the Oval Office with the Democrats. Donald Trump said in the Oval Office with the Democrats. You might have seen the video saying this shutdown mm-hmm. is mine. I'm proud to shut down the government. This came out of his mouth. Okay, I'm proud oh, to yeah, shut down the government. Go- oh, yeah, yes, he said it. Just like like Barack Obama said, the buck stops with me. <laughs> yeah, but the, the you know, I mean, the buck stopped with him. That that's totally different from shutting down the entire government. Well, if see, here's the thing. Mm. I don't know if you married or not, but you took a vow. Well, politician, this politician, this man here, I ain't gonna say he's a politician. He's a heck of a he. He gets things done. He gave a vow to the yeah. people that supported him. Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard this saying? I'm heard. I'm I, I hear about, he's losing his supporters. I'm gonna talk. About, no, well, that depends on who you ask. I'm hearing he they don't never call me. But let me ask you something. How many yeah. times have you heard the saying, we're going to talk about black folks? And black folks are starting to come on with him, too. And, you know, they can't come out openly and say it because they get fired off their job and ridicule. But uh, the Democratic Party used blacks, take them for granted. Joe Biden go to a gathering, and first thing he said, they're going to put y'all back in slavery. And Hillary Clinton comes up on the stage walking like Glenda the Witch. We don't come too far to stop now. Oh, wow. Well, how long have you been a Republican, man? I'm not. I vote issues. Huh? Yeah, I vote I, issues. I'm an independent. I'm, uh, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm an independent. I look at both sides, and I take them for what they're worth, you know. They're but good I Democrats, do, too. Yeah, I lean basically to the left, but... Uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, uh, ridicule that can be uh, placed on the uh, Democrats also. But I, I see this as a total Republican meltdown because the Republicans had – they owned everything. They had the House, they, the White House, the, uh, both chambers of Congress, they, all the governorships around America. And I still say I don't think Republicans can govern. Well, they can govern. They do very well. It's Democrats. What? Look at all these well, poverty-stricken cities that's been ran by Democrats. Name me one that's been uh, one. Name me one Democratic mayor over a city that is prosperous, other than the one in Atlanta, Maynard Jackson, at the time he was there. But name me one. Democrats been um, in power in St. Louis since 1949. It's pitiful. <laughs> El Paso, Texas, they've been in power forever. Miami, they've been in power forever. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, they've been in power since 19, what, 1918, 1908? I'm not okay. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, I want to thank you for your call because I'm just about up against the clock and we're just about Come off on, the Come on, disguise so. my voice next time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can do that. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. All right. Ha, ha, ha.
All right, the George Wilder Jr. Show is just about off the air. I want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. The George Wilder Jr. Show is off the air. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small.